Good morning. He is risen. He is risen indeed. You guys have been well trained. That's so great. It's so great to see you all this morning. I'm Pastor Mike. If we've never met before, welcome to our humble abode. This is Trinity South Naperville's gathering at Burkett Freshman Center. For those who are guests with us this morning, a special welcome to you. God's blessings to you on this beautiful Easter morning. We could not have asked for a better day, yeah, because it's going to be 75 and sunny. We're going to be doing Easter eggs and grilling out and having fun with family today. And most importantly, we're going to be remembering that somebody we love so much conquered death. So now for us, there's no need to fear that death. And so what we're going to be studying today in the resurrection of Jesus is why that matters, especially in a world that is tainted by sin and suffering. So my prayer today is that this message and this time together in the word and with music and with communion and fellowship as we get to know each other and hang out together is a blessing to you, causes your faith to grow and causes you to see God, your heavenly father, in a new light. As we start our message today, would you bow your heads and pray with me and let's get into the word. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for rising from the dead. Only a great, powerful, and majestic God could conquer death like you did. And God, I got to admit, the way you did it is mysterious and perplexing sometimes. Because we live in a world that is tainted by sin and suffering, that has its issues. We live in a world that isn't perfect. And God, we know we're not perfect either. God, we also know that we try to solve so many of our problems that you speak about and you teach about, you talk about in your word and that you handled uh, through your son Jesus as he walked around here in life. God, we ask that you be with us now in this word and help us to grow closer to you and to see you and to see your gospel, your good news in a new light. In your name we pray. Together we say amen and amen. Well, and the best part about Easter Sunday is not only that the cross is empty, because where is Jesus after he rises from the dead? You guys remember from Scripture? Where is Jesus after he rises from the dead? Where is he? He's walking around with his friends, and he surprises them, doesn't he? In fact, the Bible tells us a story about Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb and being utterly surprised by what she sees there. The reason why is because Mary Magdalene, along with all the other disciples and all of their friends, were not expecting Jesus to have risen from the dead. You see, you and I, after 2,000 years of practice, we've come to understand and know that when we get to Good Friday, we celebrate and mourn that Jesus died on the cross. But then we also know what? They guaranteed three days later, what does Jesus do? He rises from the dead. You see, but Jesus, his friends and disciples, they didn't have that expectation. In fact, they were uh, stricken with grief. They had just lost their leader, their master, and ultimately their friend. He had sacrificed himself as he said he would. But they quite didn't get it yet, if you read the scripture. They didn't really understand that he was going to die or why he was going to die. They hadn't put the puzzle pieces together that Jesus was to die so that they could be the children of God that the scripture promised they would be through the coming Messiah. Mary Magdalene was one of these. 
And as she came to the tomb that day, she really was just planning to mourn the loss of Jesus. And my question for you today is this. As you come into Easter Sunday morning, knowing how the story ends, is there a part of you that mourns just like Mary Magdalene did? Is there a part of you that is stuck just like Peter was in sorrow? Is there a part of you that is captured by the circumstances around you and is not able to progress and grow spiritually just like the disciples were? If that is you this morning, in any way, form, or fashion, then the message of the cross and the resurrection on this day is good news for you. Because in that part, in that area of your life, Jesus speaks and acts and heals and redeems. We're going to explore that over this series, over the next six weeks through Memorial Day. We're going to take a look at how God worked in the life of Job and how God worked through Jesus and the suffering that the two of them experienced, ultimately conquering it through the power of God. Now, if you look back into the story of Job, the story of Job is very peculiar. And we think the scripture that tells the story of Job, which, by the way, is in a book in the Bible called Job. It's not Job. looks like Job, but it's actually Job with a long O. We think that this predates Abraham and Moses. It goes all the way back to the beginning. And the story in a nutshell is this. Job is the perfect guy. He has the perfect family. He has the perfect home in South Naperville. He has children galore. He has cattle. He has investments. He has everything a man could want. And the story is that all the angels in heaven are gathered around with God one day. And one particular angel comes up. He's described as an accuser. Some interpret this that he is the great devil, Satan. Others interpret it as he's an angel who just happens to be stirring up trouble and causing accusations against a godly man like Job. Now, we don't really know for sure, but let's go with the idea that this angel is Satan, and it's before Satan is cast out of God's throne room and down to the earth, as the scripture says, right? But all the angels are gathered around, and basically the accuser says, take a look at this guy, Job. He's got it all together. He's got everything you could possibly want or need. But God, if you do this, if you strike his family situation, take away all his cool stuff, take away all those that he loves, uh, you're going to have trouble with him. He's going to turn his back on you. And so God says, okay, I'm going to call your bluff, Satan. I'm going to step up and, and call the bluff, and I'm going to allow some really nasty stuff to happen in Job's life. And so the scripture recalls how Job loses his home, his family, his cattle. And he gets to the point with several more interchanges with Satan and with God, where he, in fact, is stricken with these really nasty boils on his skin. And it was so bad, he was so itchy, and it was so nasty that he would take broken pottery and scrape the sores. Now, I want you to imagine this, especially if you're one of the kids. Imagine the last time you had a big, nasty mosquito bite, right? And let's say you got it on your arm, and that thing swelled up to the size of a dime. And you went and showed it to mom and dad, and what did mom and dad say? Don't scratch it. And what did you do? You scratched it. In fact, you probably scratched it harder because they told you not to do it, 
right? So imagine those all over your body. And imagine that they would ooze this nasty goo. And even the nurses in the room are cringing. And he would sit there and scrape himself with his pottery. He was utterly, totally miserable. And the way the story goes is there was a big screen in heaven where all the angels were gathered around watching the drama of Job unfold. And in fact, they probably even cringed a little bit when he got to the point where he said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away. What does he say there? Praise the name of the Lord in either circumstance, in great blessing or in times of poverty and shame. Job says, praise the name of the Lord in either case. And for us this morning, the lessons really start to unfold when we look at Job dive deeper and deeper into suffering. Now, if you're asking yourself the question, why are we talking about Job, a really sad subject? And by the way, thank you very little for all the discussion of the sores oozing and stuff on Easter Sunday morning. This is supposed to be the perfect Christian day, right? I would submit that for the reasons that will unfold, talking about suffering and how to deal with it is the perfect Christian day. Jesus did it and overcame it, did he not? And so we're exploring how that works in the kingdom of God. Where Job found himself was in utter despair. In fact, he even says this. He says, my relatives stay far away and my friends have turned against me. I wonder why. You guys wonder why his friends and relatives won't hang out with him? If you had a friend or a relative that was covered in oozing sores and had just lost everything, you would probably think that that person had sinned back in that culture, and that you weren't worth hanging around. So everybody just turned and left. He says, my family is gone, and my close friends have forgotten me. Well, Job was blessed with three friends who hung around and tried to help him, but found him in this state. Now, I want you to pay attention to this really carefully. This is very interesting, and I'm not making this up. This is in the Bible. Job says, my breath is repulsive to my wife. Now, those of you who have visited the snack table, just give a little breath sniff. Check that breath for a moment. See how you're doing in a social setting like this. He says, I am rejected by my own family. Even young children despise me. Now, you have to be in pretty bad shape for little kids to turn and run away from you, right? You got to be pretty sorry shape. He says, when I stand to speak, they turn their backs. There's no respect he says, my close friends detest me. Those I loved have turned against me. I have been reduced to skin and bones and have escaped death by what? The skin of my teeth. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you know where the phrase by the skin of my teeth came from? It came from this verse. It came from the book of Job. Now, raise your hand if you have skin on your teeth. Check your teeth. Tim says he does. It's miraculous. That's awesome. I'd like to see that someday, by the way. That's very cool. But you, you'll notice that the rest of us don't have any skin on our teeth. So he had no chance whatsoever to hang on to his life. He felt that he was getting ready to lose it. He had become so repulsive that he was sending everybody away. Now, I want to show you a picture of a beautiful baby. And by the way, before I tell this story, I want to tell you that I did check with this person on screen first 
to make sure I could have permission to tell this story. This is my daughter, Maddie. She's getting ready to turn 10 years old. Her face is turning a little red right now. That's perfectly normal and human, right? But what I want to tell you about Maddie, and she's a beautiful baby there. She's about one year old. One thing Maddie loved to do that I never quite understood was Maddie loved to eat raw onions. So we would go to a, you know, a burger place and get burgers. And if somebody you know, happened to get onions on their burger, in our family, we're not huge fans of onions. But when we get the onions, and when Maddie was one, years, one year old, she would ask for the raw onions. And she would sit and she would eat them like you and I would eat carrots or celery. And I used to watch that happening. And it used to turn my stomach from a place down deep where I really didn't understand was even there, right? But what was funny about that is that Maddie had no care or no concern whatsoever for how her breast smelled. It got so bad when she was eating the onions that when we would lose her at home and she would crawl off around the corner, somebody would say, do you know where Maddie is? And we'd say, well, I think she's over there because of the smell of onion. It was perplexing, and I don't know at what age she decided to stop eating onions, but she had this gift of onion eating that just brought this bad breath demon out of nowhere, and this cute little bundle of joy turned into a bad breath machine overnight. We still loved her. We still bathed her, fed her, changed her diapers, and hugged her. But man, that onion face, I will never forget. Imagine that in a grown-up-sized person who is repelling everyone. And in fact, everybody went away from Job except for three people, the Bible describes. These three people tried to help Job understand what it is he was going through. But Job found himself identifying with someone else who the scripture prophesied about. In these words, Isaiah 53 says, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. This is the great pariah of our generation. The idea that someone would choose to leave his throne in heaven on high and become so wretched and despised by all of humankind and yet be ignored on a daily basis for one purpose and one reason alone to give us the greatest gift we could ever receive. And that is a God who loves us and wants us, desires us, runs after us, calls us by name, seeks us when we don't seek him and captures us by the heart through the story of Jesus, his son, who fulfilled this prophecy. This is the trouble of our generation. It is the same kind that is the trouble in Job's story. It's not the idea that we bear some kind of power that stands in opposition to God. It's not that we're making the right choice in life, where we are going one way and God's going another, and we're simply choosing the wrong way, and now we have to choose the right way in Jesus. It's more than that. It's not just simply the power of your choice and mine as to whether to believe Jesus or not. I would submit this morning that based on what Job teaches and based on what the scripture teaches about Jesus, that our single greatest problem 
is recognizing Jesus, is seeing him for who he is, understanding what he did on the cross, and understanding that it is not just down to you and I choosing whether or not we will follow Jesus. Because the truth of the matter is this, Jesus died for you, whether you recognize it or realize it or not. Jesus died for you, whether you choose to follow him or accept him or receive him or not. Jesus paid the ultimate price for you, whether you get that and put all the puzzle pieces together or not. And friend, I don't know about you, but for me, that's the best news of all. Because even when I failed to choose him, even when I turn my back on him, he's still there choosing me every day. No matter what I do, no matter what I say, no matter who I try to be, whether I've got lots of stuff or I'm in complete abject poverty, he's always there, always loving, always sacrificing of himself and always overcoming death. I have a question for you today that's threefold. What spiritual sores are you trying to eliminate or scrape off with the poverty of the trappings of this life? What unhelpful voices are you hearing from friends or voices that you've been accustomed to that aren't necessarily leading you to God? What loss in your life are you trying to fill or replace on your own? If you stop and ask yourself those questions, then you can identify with one special lady, Mary Magdalene. Now, remember we said in the beginning that Mary went to the tomb expecting to mourn. And when she found what she found there, she was amazed. The Bible says what she found there were a couple of angels who announced that Jesus was not there. And then she turned and faced someone mysteriously standing there watching her who she thought was the gardener. And he simply revealed himself to her. The question becomes this for us. When you look at the story of the resurrection of Jesus, what do you see? Do you see a Jesus who heals your hurts, who deals with your losses, who replaces them? Do you see a Jesus who meets your needs, who leads you where you are to go? Do you see a Jesus who lives? Because it's one thing to say, Jesus died on the cross for me. It's another thing to say, Jesus lives today for me, in me, and through me. We have a Savior who is alive. He is more than a memory. He is more than a history. He is a living, active, powerful, majestic Savior who continues to save you and me as we walk through life. So then the question becomes, when you look at the story, think beyond the story. Who do you see? When you look at the story of Job, and if you join us for the rest of the series, who will you see at work? Will you see a God who has conquered death? and runs after you at work. Will you see him for who he is? Because that is the Jesus who rose from the grave. Look at what Job says toward the end of his story. And we're gonna go back and unpack parts of his story in future weeks. 
But look at what he says at the end. He says, as for me, I know my Redeemer lives. Not I think or I'm guessing, but something in the spirit inside him says, I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand on the earth at last. Who's projecting into the future. And after my body is decayed, yet in my body, says Job, I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. Do you see Jesus with the eyes that God gave you? Do you see him for who he is? He is there, whether you see him or not. Will you see him brand new all over again, starting on this Easter Sunday? Will you give yourself the chance to see him? Because the truth is, he's there, and he's calling us to simply recognize who he is. You know, my prayer for us all today is that we see this faith brand new. We prayed that in the beginning. Look at what is going on around you and what is going on in your life. Is God working in your life, no matter what it is? And open yourself up by the power of the Spirit to see Jesus alive and active. He will prove himself to be true. As he did 2,000 years ago to a woman expecting to mourn, and instead getting a surprise. He will prove himself, perhaps in a surprising way, to you and to me, again and again. This is the power of Jesus, the power of God for you and for me. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you so much for rising from the dead. Thank you so much for being who you are. You're an amazing, powerful God who conquered death. And in the face of suffering, I can look and see you at work. I may not know the particulars. I may not know the why. We'll get into that some next week. But God, I know with my own eyes that I can see you, even if I don't right now. Come and show yourself to me in the words of the songs, in the words of the scripture, and in the power of the fellowship. Use them all. Touch my heart. Reach for me now. In your name we pray and together we say amen and amen.